Have you hugged your ganja bush today? Do you smoke the herb daily? This was going out to our meditators. Dr. Welcome back, everyone, to Reefer the Reefer the Podcast. I'm your host, Little Farmer. Today, I got a special guest with me. His name is Miles Filippelli. He is the sole proprietor of Fermented Plant Extracts. We are going to talk a little bit about some Korean natural farming and some other techniques. And uh, first, we're going to talk to Miles here about what got you started into smoking cannabis, Miles. Gee, I guess... I guess it was just those friends of mine earlier on in life, you know, the, the, the scene I, I fell into and uh, it, I tried it a couple times and enjoyed it and, um, you know, as, as, as access in the community got wider for me, I kept, kept sourcing and enjoying different types and, um, you know, just, just being young and kind of rebellious and, and, uh, and having it available. You know, I always say like it's it's great to, to want something that you can that you can actually get, and having the mind and like actually being able to enjoy it. Some people try it and they're like, oh no, this is terrible. I don't, I don't that's not for me. So it's for me. I wanted it and I had access. So the stars aligned and I, <laughs> and the rest is history. Where did you grow up, Air Miles? I am originally from Asheville, North Carolina, a nice little town in the Appalachian Mountains, Western North Carolina. So they're actually known for a little hippie college town, right? So yeah. I'm sure there were some college growers around or up in the mountains. Uh, I'm from, I went to West Virginia University. There weren't too many growers up there. <clears throat> it wasn't known for a little, being a little hippie town or having uh, access to that as a drinking town. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the college vibes in Nashville were pretty subdued. Like the, the university, there's a liberal arts college, and it, it wasn't, it's never been a huge thing. But the, for some reason, Asheville... It was something about this, a bond referendum that they didn't take out, so they were, like, poor when other places in the South were rich, and uh, and they didn't rebuild their downtown, so they had all these old buildings and old things downtown. And Asheville used to have a... It was, it was like the Paris of the South, so it used to have a culture of, like, cultured people coming there from around the world and uh, around the country, wealthier crowd, you know? Um... So, so I think that kind of like when that died off and the town didn't take out bond referendums, it, it attracted like, you know, bikers and like counterculture people who could, who could do something in the absence of everything else. You know, like we want to do our thing because everything else isn't happening there. You know, so, so I th- and that's what attracted my parents there in the uh, 80s. They were up in like way up in the boonies and Asheville was like kind of got this artist scene town where things were cheap and you could like do what you want there and that's what attracted my parents there as artists or was it mostly cultivated indoors um traditionally a lot of outdoor by the time i got around it had all most for the most part in moved in um for security's sake but traditionally out there all through the 70s there was a lot of outdoor growing so yeah that's the way it was where i'm from in, in romney west virginia it's a there were some outdoors Nobody grew it indoors, and it was really hard to come by. And nobody knew any strains except for they called it a hash plant. That would be like the term that most people use for what grew outdoors there very well. And you were saying AK-47 was a strain that came out of there, out of Nashville, that you used to smoke back in the day? Well, there was a there was an AK strain that, um, I don't know if it was 47, they just went by AK, and it, it was grown out there for, since I can remember, and... Um, and man, was it was proper. And it's funny because you can still get that herb in Asheville. That that same crew is still growing it in a similar way. Like, 
for real legacy traditional market vibes and it's quality it's really good proper herb and yeah there's there's been a bunch of cuts that that pass through that area but it's it's interesting that things stick around that long and maintain so Um, you were saying that uh also we were discussing some of the strains that you had grown Balochistan, or you said Balochistan is how some people pronounce it. Um, I got those seeds from you, the IBL IBL pack, and uh, they look really nice. Uh, why did you decide to breed with the Balochistan? So I've been looking up to uh, Irazine um, of Full Power Selections. He's an Indian cat, travels around the Himalayan regions and collects seeds. And that inspired me because I'd been to India before doing similar, like traveling up in those regions and always wanted to do something like that. And he's up there doing it and he's an Indian, so he knows the region is, doesn't have the same kind of issues I would have doing it. And, and he's bringing those seeds to the American, bringing them to us, tapping in directly to just like the cult seed collecting and growers community. And this was years back. And so finally, I think it was 2019, 20, yeah, 2019, um, he did a big release like you know 20 strains or something and I was like pack it each like give it to me and uh I was super stoked to support him in that way and like put it in pay what he needed to continue what he was doing and uh and in that mix was the there was a four or five selections from different regions of Baluchistan Balochistan I'm not sure northern Pakistan I believe and um yeah and there was a at Balochistan Weed, I think he goes by Raisani, R-A-I-S-A-N-I Weed. Now I actually got follow. Yeah, that's also. the cat. That's the, the that's his strains. Okay. Uh, the Balochistan came from him. It was labeled Mastung Number One or something like that. And uh, there were like four of them, four or five uh, Balochistan selections, plus a bunch of others of, of all from India. So, um, and that was because of him, like seeing a, a glimpse into his grow and all that through the technology we like I was like yes let's grow those and you said most of that region because you traveled up there was it was mostly for hash production right I think so it was pretty hard to find any like herb there that to speak of for me like I always found hash and I found some I got some pretty good hash up there and yeah it seems like um and I was just in the Himalaya region in India, but it seems like a lot of the production of what's going on out there is for hash. Um, I can't necessarily speak to each farmer, of course, but that's that's what moves. The purpose of hash is for storage and transportation. You know, it's like flour is bulky, it spoils easily, it's hard to hide, yeah. it takes up more space. I've actually heard some theories on why some of the hash there is unique and actually hit you harder is because of the storage method some of them are actually stored under the goat skin they'll like cut a part of the goat skin and stick it underneath there between the epidermis and the dermis and they carry it there and somehow the oils and microbes of the skin help to break it down and transform the thc into like a more psychoactive i think it's about sealing it up every time i saw it stored in in india and a lot of traditional teachings say just to seal it up well so it's not open to the air and in a cool dark place and yeah I saw these like oil tins that were like cut open and had it stacked in there wrapped up in, in plastic cellophane or whatever and uh, 
Yeah, that that they would like pull those out, and I was told up there like, yeah, no, you don't smoke this seasons ever. You like smoke last seasons because the aging is something important. And they're like, oh, we'll smoke two seasons ago even, but this season's like fresh stuff is like a little bit less desirable in some cases. You know, some fresh stuff is amazing, but they said the, the preferred is a lot of the drier or the older. I don't know aged something magical like happens wine in there. Or, yeah it cures them just like herb it cures it takes a little while to cure i'm sure if hash cures up and there's different ways of doing it i'm sure it does change the uh, chemical compounds that cbd might increase or cbn increasing making it more sedative better for pain or something or even new compounds we don't even know you know like there could be like in that change it could it could transmute into some other hashinoid that's not found in cannabis yeah especially if they store it under the ground and like some type of manure from what i've heard that some people oh. will bury it put it in oh, put no. it in paper or in leaves and then bury it in manure and let it sit for a couple of months and they pull it out and make hash out of it i think if you if you get it sealed up airtight like if you like wrap it up in something first like, it doesn't matter where you put it after that. I mean, like, in a manure pile. Or but the microbial armpit. life, you know how microbial life changes. Thing. That microbial life underneath the ground gets into the herb itself and changes the, I guess. the, There's like change the, cob the contents curing, of it. All that cob curing. But my understanding of all that was that you, like, you wrap it up and protect it from the microbes. And stuff. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm about, like, aging way. and, like... Like aging for the sake of like something chemist chemical happening in there changing and transmuting into other things that affect quality positively ideally <laughs> <laughs> oh god but I don't know about the I mean, I'll, I'm all about the microbes in the soil and like in the human gut I've not learned much about the microbes on the herb like i mean i've heard of the cob curing and i've even heard of cob curing referred to as a form of fermentation but man i never thought of like the microbes like eating the you've ever heard of lamb's bread in jamaican oh, for sure. rastafari they uh will bury the herb and it does collect some mold and stuff and that kind of adds into the psychoactive effect during their <sighs> during their festivals from what i've heard I've, <sighs> Never Jeez. experienced one, but I I've heard that, that watching documentaries or I just don't know if I would want to smoke that man, like something that had like a like a I don't know, I'd be concerned. It's like eating bread. We probably have back in the day, I'm eat a part and just didn't know it because right. we weren't. I guess smart that's about how it. it is. It's like if it's gonna happen, just don't tell me that's what's going on. <laughs> just, it was just, just don't let my mind get in the way of the experience, you know. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. It's easy to do with uh, with food, the texture of food, or just tell somebody what they're eating. Uh, uh, right, don't tell until me. Until they don't know what me. they're eating. They're, oh, it's really good. Don't tell me until I'm like, ooh, what was that? They, they the Rocky Mountain me. oysters were good until you knew what they were. Is Rocky Mountain oysters like the equivalent of like fermented weed? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we also talked about banga, a drink that is popular over in Asia with some of bong. these. Bong is that bong. what it is? It's That's not banga. Bong. So bong, and you made some. Could you run through that preparation technique one more time for for, for sure. me and for the listeners out here? For sure, it's uh, it's you take herb fresh, like right off the plant, ideally. So I always do it at harvest season. Like we made it 
about a month ago. Um, cut the buds, put them in a pot of water, hot water. So what I do is I boil the water and I turn it off. And once it stops boiling, it starts kind of just simmer looking and is cooling down. I throw the buds in, um, wait 10, 15, 20 minutes, somewhere in there, pull the buds out. The, the water is like a tea now. You just set that water aside, maybe strain it. Take the wet buds and uh, you get a mortar and pestle and some milk. I like to use whole milk because the whole point of this is to get the fats to absorb, the fats and proteins and the fats in the milk to absorb the THC and the phyto compounds out of the plant. So you take a bud, you put it in the mortar and pestle, and you pour a little bit of milk in there, just a little, just enough to cover the bud. Maybe an almond or two helps crush it up. So then you crush it up until the milk turns green. And then you pour the milk off through a strainer into a bowl and you throw a crushed up bud in your compost or something like that. You put another bud in the mortar and pestle, more milk. Do the same thing over and over, repeat, repeat, repeat until you have like a good amount of milk and you've used up all your buds. And then you mix the milk, the infused milk, back with the tea water, like to taste. Like I've heard 50-50 and it depends on how strong you made your tea and how much bud you put in there, how strong the water is going to be. But then, so you mix the milk the flavored the infused milk with the water and add like cardamom chai spices so cardamom cinnamon ginger black pepper sugar um you know whatever you want uh you know maybe here we call it pumpkin pie spices <laughs> it's chai. It sounds like a latte or yeah, a chai it's, it's chai yeah. um so you put so you put your, your your flavors into taste and you know if it's if it's not strong enough you add more tea you know because the tea is real the water is real strong like medicinal can't drink it type of strong um so you mix that to taste and then you and then it's just like a i think they drink it during the festival of holy h-o-l-i like the color festival of colors um so i've never had it when i'm there when i'm in india i've only had hash in india but uh i've definitely made a lot of it here in the states from at harvest season (laughs) I'm going to shout some of my next harvest coming up in a a month or so. Yeah, bro. And you can freeze, like, if you make it up, if you make a bunch, you can, like, fill a a jug or something, freeze it, and when it thaws, you just have to drink it real quick, like, upon thawing. uh, I got two of the Belogi stands going now. They look pretty good, and the resin on them looking pretty good. Starting to stack up. I will try some of that with that, and then I'll try it with a sativa just to see what the difference is. Yes, that's cool. That's cool. As you know, I've made my tinctures, so if I might be able to make some tinctures, and see how it goes with that jasmine tea uh, we're drinking right now. That <clears throat> yes, props to little farmer slash little little tea house. Oh, <laughs> this is awesome. Sweet. The jasmine with the uh, man. The aroma just I, actually an old gentleman taught me the recipe. <clears throat> I went on a cruise. I tried to stop smoking for a week because I didn't want to smoke on a cruise and didn't want to risk it with my family. So I relied on the tenters for a whole week. I had four bottles of it. it lasted. It was awesome, but. It smelled so strong that I, after I drank it, like maybe 30 minutes later, I got on the elevator. People could still smell it on my breath. Man, that It'll smells good. It'll do it. Yeah. No, no, it takes it's all it. about the Terps. Yeah, it is. And uh, that, that leads me into your uh, your apparel line. Yes. Should taste good is one of the best designs I've seen. I'm sending some stickers over to Spain right now. Love it. Um, if you guys want to go check it out, go to weechatastegood.com, right? And uh, check out the apparel and get you a shirt. Uh, got some camouflage shirt right now with some weed leaves on it looking pretty sweet. Nice, I nice. got some tie-dye. I got a nice uh, 
nice t-shirt myself so i'm pretty excited i'll wear that wherever i go I that's it. number one saying weed should taste good guys and that's what I grow for. That's what a lot of people grow for are the Terps. And uh, thanks for putting that out there. We are actually going to take a little break here, and we're going to come back and talk about some KNF. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Colorado's own Cannabis Connoisseurs Coalition, founded in 2002 and the Thanksgiving event. This connoisseur event is running through the month of November with the legendary Thanksgiving dinner on the 26th. You might be wondering, what is the Connoisseur's Cup? What is Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving is a very special holiday that we have been celebrating for generations within the Cannabis Connoisseur's Coalition and is our official Connoisseur Cup qualifier for the month of November. The top growers in and around Colorado get together every Thanksgiving around the end of November to feast, celebrate, share, and gain knowledge on what the community's top products and producers are doing so they can help each other rather than undercutting and competing against each other. This combined with several childhood stoner dreams of traveling to Amsterdam to judge the finest cannabis and cannabis products in the world, only to be let down by the actual function of today's cups and competition, led us to build what we believe is the greatest cup competition of all time. We work hard to provide industry and non-industry competitors a fair platform during our seven-month blindly judged season. Each entry receives one post, one story, one reel, and is added to our website to announce them into the competition. We make sure to give plenty of time to our judges to taste and rate every entry with a clear head and is thoroughly judged by top connoisseurs and the community judges. After 30 days of judging, we will compile our scoring data and announce the top entries that have qualified to compete in our 2023 Connoisseurs Cup Finals. All competitors have the option to go over the data we collect and will be provided with a brief marketing analysis to help provide crucial information to help make this plant, community, and industry the very best we possibly can. Judging and competitor passes are available at theconnoisseurcup.com. It's $250 per entry, one ounce equivalent, and entries are accepted through the end of November. That means you have less than two weeks to get your entry in. This year's main event is going to be on November 26th at Dave's house in Colorado Springs. The address and details will be sent after tickets are purchased online at theconnoisseurcup.com. Do you have what it takes? Find out. Make sure to get your entries in and come hang out with Colorado's finest at Thanksgiving dinner at Dave's. All right, welcome back, everyone. We're sitting here with Miles Filippelli, almost said that incorrectly. He's the owner and sole proprietor of fermented plant extracts and weed should taste good apparel. We're going to go into some of his fermented plant extracts and what it is technically called. And we're going to compare it to some KNF and some Jadam, which I just learned are all completely different things. And uh, he's going to help explain that to everyone. So first, most popular, the the biggest one is KNF, right? Is that the most common or less well-known, or is it Jadam? I don't know. I mean, in different circles, it might be different things. I think that they're both kind of gaining popularity together. And, you know, in the last five years, it's kind of been explosive. And, you know, like the, the permaculture scene, uh, not it's been explosive in the cannabis world, um, but it's also caught on in, like, permaculture realms and um, who else, like, I don't know, it's out there, it's international, it's like 
Australia, Europe, there's people doing KNF and Genome. And um, in terms of popularity, I think they're both like gaining together. You know, like I was telling you, KNF is created by uh, a man we call Master Cho. And his son, Young Seng Cho, I think is uh, his name. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but he created Jadam. And it's literally a, a like kind of like the comparison between classical music and punk rock. It's like KNF has to be it has to be practiced, and you have to watch other people who know how to do it. It's like classical music; you have to practice it, you have to do it over and over till you get it right. You have to know what it's like wrong. You have to know what it's like right. It's a you know it's an art, and it's a there's a precision level to it. Whereas with with Jadam, it's pretty much just go. Just like here's the ingredients, here's a drum, here's a guitar, here's the things. Just make punk rock. Like, da, 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 da. like you could just no do rules. It. <laughs> yeah, not as much. Of... Well, there's rules. There's framework, and you operate within that framework. And there's a lot more freedom and just like to to do without as much room to go wrong. Gotcha. Um, so Jadam is just more water and plant matters mixed with um, in specific recipes. For different crops, um, there's like a pesticides that are like kind of like makes like making soap, um, which of course those processes can go wrong if you use like hard water and different. Th- so there's a lot of stuff in Jadam, but the main ones like the JLF <clears throat> and the JMS are kind of like pretty simple, pretty easy to make. Um, just go with it, especially the JLF, the liquid fertilizer. It's just super easy to make. Um, it's plant matter, a little bit of soil and water go let it soak for a while however long <laughs> so uh we met at the growcast first meetup i think in denver first time i met you and i was there talking to brett and a couple other guys and uh they said you need to talk to him about soil and uh fermented extracts and this knf he is all over it. he knows what he's talking about didn't get a chance to talk then we met again somewhere else uh another get together i can't remember uh, and then we got, I saw you at the uh, convention, the Canacon, yep. you were set up with Build a Soil, yep. and it was craziness. So uh, I'm glad you got to come over here and talk to me. Um, I want to back this up just a little bit, because a lot of people don't even know what KNF is. It is Korean natural farming. It's where you use natural life and mycology, which is fungal life, correct? Yeah, it's all about using the microbiology present in the soil and enhancing and diversifying that microbiological community in the soil um, in aid of the plants you're growing. Because plants in living soil or in organic soil don't just, like, eat. The plant roots don't just eat the organic matter and get energy from them they don't if there's a piece of kelp or rock dust the plant roots can't just like eat the rock dust and get the energy out of it there's a complex and diverse microbial relationship that exists in the soil to make the organic mat the nutrition present in that organic matter available to the plants and um so it's all so knf jadam living soil all of this is ultimately at its core about diversifying, uh, enhancing, and supporting that microbial population in the soil and controlling it for for your crop. Um, 
you know, so, so like I said, it's been explosive in cannabis because there's so many cannabis only growers out there who are willing to experiment, who will, you know, go out on limb, do these beyond organic, new school, old school, like, cause KNF is ancient. This stuff is, is old school. It's like, it's been around and Master Cho brought it to the, the attention of all of us and it's evolving now. Like there's different people's interpretations and different forms of it for different, like we, I work with a guy who, um, who created his own system specifically of cannabis, specifically for cannabis. Um, shout out Jay Cervera, Touched by Cannabis. Um, he, yeah, so, so there's a lot like, you know, Chris Trump did a lot to move it forward and get it into people's eyes too. And, um, and there's a lot of resources about KNF now out there and there's a lot of resources about Jadam to like learn about it um but it's still early on like we're still like developing it and like learning how to apply it best in each region because that's what this stuff does this natural farming it like puts you in touch with your region not just as the microbes but with the plants that grow around you and like you know the the trees and the, the seasons when it's best to collect things and the fruit and everything you know so so it's a really holistic um, process, especially here's the cool part is that KNF Korean natural farming really is about the connection between agriculture and culinary arts because, um, KNF preparations can be eaten. A lot of them, most of them, like the IMO, the indigenous microorganisms is just an inoculant. Um, so you don't eat it, but it is used as an ingredient in things like the fish. With a probiotic, right? Yeah, it's a probiotic, exactly. But it's a soil probiotic. Like kimchi is a fermented cabbage, right? The probiotics. Uh, The reason I got into probiotics were for my gut. You mentioned that earlier, too. Is that what got you into the the whole idea of probiotics for your plant? Was it did it start with your own gut and thinking about that process? Honestly, no. It was all about just growing better ganja for less money out of desperation because I didn't have any money. So it was like, I'm going to grow conjure whether I'm broke. I'm in the same way right now. So this is, these techniques are extremely empowering. It's like, even in urban, urban setting like this, there's, you know, places to collect IMO. There's places to glean some plant matter at certain times of the year. There's probably something fruiting or flowering. You could, you could like wild craft, so to speak in, in a responsible way. Um, you know, like I, this time of year when it's dry here in Colorado, I look at like dried out waterways or dried out lake beds and be like, oh, if I could get like a five gallon or 10 gallon bucket out of the dried out waterway. And sometimes you find these little like freshwater clam shells in the bottom of creeks. And I collected a five gallon bucket full of those things one time and I was just like, calcium source, yeah. Like, you know, so there's the, and there's techniques in KNF and Jadam about how to extract these calcium sources that are locked up in organic matter, like shells, extracted into a liquid form. So that would be uh, some <clears throat> vinegar, right? Yep, a vent. You toast, you break up and toast the shells, just like an eggshell, and um, like a toast. I just put them in a barbecue, you know, out on a skillet or something, and get them half black, half white, and then vinegar soak. And you know, there's a it's a fairly simple and widely known thing of that eggshells or calcium source. So is that JLF or JMS? That's a KNF thing. It's a KNF thing, okay. WCA. WCA. Right. 
Water soluble calcium. Oh uh, yeah, okay. I saw that on the, your website. I did see that. Yeah. All right. I um, like I said, anagrams kind of throw me off. It gets really hard for everybody. Yeah, all the abbreviations that it's not doesn't make it easier, but it does give us like a agreed upon jargon so that we know that thing done this way is called this. And WCA mm-hmm. technically calls for eggshells, but you know, I used what I had. Gypsum is another source of calcium. I don't know if I would. Yeah, for this you best one you want to use is um, calcium carbonate, which is oyster shell meal or oyster shells. Um, gypsum is calcium sulfate, which is different, and you don't need to mix the ca- gypsum with anything. S- no, it's generally gypsum is more, especially if you get the water soluble. Yeah, I just did a top dress with that, so it just kind of slowly yep. leaks in with the. That'll work. That'll do it. <laughs> so but, uh, I do want to try the water soluble because it gets quicker to the root, right? And you can foliar spray it. The, right. the WCA um, conceptually, it's like calcium calcium acetate because you mix it with acetic acid, um, which is vinegar, and you can foliar spray that. It uh, <coughs> that's good to know because it's a it's a common issue calcium deficiency with LED lights and cooler temps and people just don't know it's like a yeah. calcium lockout you can just spray it on the leaves <clears> and it's it's a lot quicker to get there especially if you're using uh cocoa oh cocoa and ganja roots like do not make for a good relationship with calcium for some reason there's a yeah so calcium is oh and ganja loves calcium like it loves so much calcium so um yeah, a lot yeah. of growers don't know that, and they get the leaf. You can see it in the leaves real quick, and I know I gotta hit them with some calcium real quick. Bro, shout out build the soil. The soils. If you preload your soils full of calcium, you don't have a problem. And yeah. cocoa is like I don't even know, but if you could preload so your cocoa with a bunch of gypsum before you even growing it, that might help. Um, but yeah, if you grow living soil and preload full of calcium, you have. Well, I got. It. Like eight beds and spread. each one's uh, a year older than the other <laughs> or one round older than the other so it's like every round I'd made one or two more from my recycled dirt that I bought and now That's I cool. got a bunch of beds but they're <laughs> all cool. they're all different soils so I'd have to take eight different samples uh, no nah, I would just put so down I a just, couple cups of gypsum in each one when you flip see look by eye I'm an old farmer I've never had a test in my life never had any kind of <laughs> That's fine dude you're it, good read the leaves man you got, but even then, in your like, garden a lot and just know, know yeah. what you're looking for and it just experience. True. But even if when you flip and like redo your beds, you could totally read, like put some calcium in the yeah. soil, like just put it in there. Like, comes down to finances sometimes. Too. It's a, well, hit me up. Dude. I'll sponsor you little vibes. Like a bag of calcium, bag of gypsum, I think 50 pounds of shipping will be more than the bag of gypsum. That's the big thing I've, I've, uh, I've realized. So we'll bring you some down. To, did you yeah. want to support local? And 100%. especially with what's happening or what happened here in the last year or so with the deliveries and the, and the <clears throat> truck drivers' uh, transportation costs have <laughs> skyrocketed. So if you're getting something like dirt across from the country, it's, it doesn't make Bro, diesel is still fit five bucks a gallon. It's crazy. Yeah, so trucking soil across the country is like... It's a tough one. And then when we were just talking what you had mentioned, too, it's all going to be regional, too. So if you're getting dirt that's more regional to your area, it's, normally it's going to have more microbiology from your area if it was done right. Conceptually, yeah. And, I mean, that's the that's the thing about KNF is you're inviting the local microbes, not just the ones that 
we know are super beneficial because we know that they're super glomus um, sub bacillus certain ones that are great for the soil great for plants but then we get this huge other population that like fills in all the gaps of that entire soil food web to to create the fullness um, of the connection between the organic matter and the plants so there has to be a connection between them that carries the energy of the nutrition the whole way one of the big ones are the nematodes now i remember <coughs> where we met the second time it was at the queen of sun uh growcast uh living soil meetup where we yes. had the class full on you were ever taking notes i was like yeah i gotta make sure i hit him up and see if he can come on the podcast and uh and everybody was kept pointing me to you and the nematodes i did hear another podcast talk about nematodes nematodes are have more species than any other type of creatures out there or but they they're so small you can't see them and uh they're very regional so if you're getting regional dirt regional microbes your your nematodes or something that's real important to help break down the nitrogen help break down that stuff so it's available to your plants yep and it's harder to get live nematodes in a bagged preparation generally well if you're buying <clears> them <throat> i heard and you're getting them transported from some other place you put them in say they're from a humid place and i put them here and my right. average temperature is a little bit lower than normal but my humidity is 30 percent right you have to and tailor are them. they gonna <clears throat> are they gonna survive <laughs> or am i just wasting my money and uh they're just not going to like this. So that's one thing I like about the regional and I think that's going to be the future of cannabis, especially once it's legal and people are growing outdoors is the different soils are going to create different uh, characteristics that people like. Yeah. Either it's an aroma, a potency, you're going to have sativas in the south, more indicas in the north, auto flowers in the far, far north. Uh, and it's all going to change flavor wise and that's that's what I think going to be is going to be craft cannabis everywhere and people are going to fly in just for that bro I hope you're right that sounds awesome like in Thailand there's going to be a lot of sativa yeah but well, you go to India northern where Blokistan is it's it's actually a kind of like Kashmir region I think it's what I read up yeah like north Pakistan north in, like up in there so yeah, and it's uh, sure. colder, more hash, more broadleaf, more indicas, uh, different effects. Yeah, the higher you go in elevation and the higher you go in um, <clears throat> away from the equator and what's that latitude, then um, the more indica traits you're going to get just based on um, you know, wider leaves needing more sun, being farther from the equator, getting less hours of the day, shorter seasons, shorter bud structures to maintain, uh, you know, stay warmer and the open bud structures help deal with mold and mildew and the things that are more prevalent in southern humid climates. Like, so yeah, you get a lot of characteristics that follow those those genetic traits that uh, from based on region. Yeah, you mentioned to me earlier when when we cut off about the, the seeds that you had collected yourself and you saw them walking along the path uh, 
two, I can't remember where you said, where were you walking and it was growing from people throwing the seeds along the... I mean, it's all along this thing. This uh, It's a route called the Chardam Trail where they... Um, it's like all these glacial routes where, between uh, the sources of rivers, so like hot springs in the mountains that lead to turn into giant rivers in the continent. Um, and yeah, there's ganja growing all over on those trails, on the in the PVC, in the villages and people's yards on the sides of the hills terraced into hills that like a ag crop you see it like i was saying we saw one a military installment growing it and behind their fences a big field of it i was like what the wow um so it's traditional there it's ancient it's like so it's it's just it's i would say everywhere but you have to have eyes to see you have it's to look you know heirloom of the area right yeah and there's wild and cultivated and it's just cultural when you put it in the ground in North Carolina, it looked completely different, right? <laughs> yeah, man. When we grew it outside in North Carolina, it was, like, totally different. Like, not even the same. I wouldn't have believed it if I didn't know for sure they were the same seeds. It was totally different. How many rounds did you run them in North Carolina? Two outside and two inside. Um so you think that might have helped them adapt to the climate? Did you notice them getting any better? No, over there the was four no, rounds, or no. just they stayed exactly the same in the in your climate? They changed that they didn't get better. They were just like what they were, and this was right before we uh, moved out here, and right kind of right when I moved out in this area. Um, it was a it was a, a weird time and I wasn't fully aware of like what I was sitting on and I just kind of like did my thing with them you know and that it is what it is <laughs> but they were fun it was a fun experience so I had actually heard of people using the cannabis plants in these ways of making their own ferments and you have one on yours it's a hemp ferment right that's one of the products you have on your line i think uh let me double check and see yeah no 100 right quick. that's a fermented hemp extract and the the fermented plant extracts that i do technically aren't knf or jadam but they're as closely related as you could be um they're a very slick mix of of the knf ferments and the jadam uh liquid fertilizers they include lactobacillus to do the biological fermentation in there to break it down, break down the organic matter, make it into a more plant-available form. Um, <coughs> and, yeah, we use hemp as a food source for those microbes in, in a solution. <clears throat> and that foods, the specific food source, in this case being hemp, creates a different nutritional content to the liquid and um, a different different compounds in the that extracted it out into the liquids through the microbes, and that's as far as I can tell, it's the first of its kind of any kind of hemp derived liquid fertilizer, so to speak. I don't really like to call it a fertilizer, but a soil conditioner, a, a microbial solution, anything de- designed for ag, derived from hemp. Um, I think I think it's the first, which is like woohoo, whatever. But <laughs> I did that. So on on here you do have a horsetail, a, a nettle, peach, comfrey, and the hemp, and I've seen the pumpkin also. Yes, 
and I do all kinds of flavors, but those are just the ones on the website right now. I think through me, you can only get the peach and the, the nettle and the comfrey right now. But my site cycles through seasonals, and the best place to get them is always through Build the Soil. Um, so I'm always cycling through stuff on fermentedplantextracts.com, and there's always a growing, and you know it's it's what I can keep up with in terms of shipping myself, and that's probably going to get more over time, but we'll see. For now, Build the Soil is the best source uh, for like the whole line and most of them, but sometimes I have a bunch of something I made like one year I made root fruit it was carrots beets turnips and for whatever reason Bill so I didn't get any so I like put it on the website and it's a I was calling it root fruit and it's good for early veg good for bloom because it's roots and it's fruits it's kind of like makes like in a lot of these situations making these preps you know so fruit make fruit stem stemmy material woody material makes stemmy tough material like it's probably not a great direct correlation but the concept is is there in the traditional preps of like fruits and flowers make fruits and flower preps so these that you have here which ones are best for the the veg state so generally i say comfrey is the all-around like you could really use it for anything, veg and bloom, but it's the, it's the focus is veg. Um, you could use the hemp in veg and transition and probably wouldn't, like same way it's all purpose, you, you could, if, you, if it was one bottle you had to get, just you could only afford one, like a lot of people, I can understand. Um, the, the comfrey or the hemp is kind of your best all purpose. But they're also just like, I would say, if you're going to get multiple balls, use them in veg and transition. Pumpkin, big fruit. That's fruit. Peach, sweet fruit. That's for fruit. That's for flowering. Bloom, bloom. Nettles, it's kind of <clears throat> all-purpose, the same way as comfrey and, and um, hemp. The nettles is also a special plant in traditional preparations for all kinds of medicinal things and known to enhance plants around it. It's a, it's a special plant for, for producing preps from, um, same with horsetail. Horsetail is known for certain benefits, both medicinally and for plants. So, but I would say the horsetail is more transition into bloom, uh, cause it's also, it's considered a silica source and that's something I would generally push in bloom with yeah, calcium silica is a forgotten one by a lot of growers too that really helps strengthen the walls keeps the pests out yep. uh, keeps it sturdy standing without support those are the two main things you need the silica for um yep. so in this theory uh, i had heard on another podcast uh guy was talking about you could take your cannabis plants and do that too and uh, if you take them at a young age after one or two weeks you're doing a huge pheno hunt and you don't want to use 200 of the plants and they're like two weeks in the veg or just little sprouts you could take that make a little ferment out of that and that would be your 100 fertilizer for your babies yep 100 because they are full of the nutrients that the babies want and like and then when you ferment it it'll come out into the extract bro um, i'll 
Go, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll spit game while I tell you how. And then it goes up to, that's here in a little bit. And then after that, you get the plants that are going into uh, from the transition stage. And you don't want some of those. They might harm or something. You cut those down. You make that into a transition ferment. Yes. And then once you get to the end, you see some of the bud. Oh, man, it doesn't really have a bag appeal. It's not going to sell to the dispensary. I'm going to use that for fertilizer for my blood, right? So that's the concept when you're talking about the big fruit. Use yeah. that for bloom. Babies, use those for the babies. And there is a transition stage when they're starting to flower before they go to seed. You use that for your transition stage, right? Yeah, if all if the only plant you have <clears throat> is the plant you're growing, if you got ganja and you're growing it, yeah, and you're culling or... I mean, I wouldn't say necessarily you don't, you don't want to use, like, sick plants. Like, if this plant is sick and, like, something wrong with it maybe don't ferment it but um yeah like culls they don't look the way that they're, they're just you don't have room for them one thing or another you just grow too many yeah. um yeah or even grow a few extras to do this with you know if you got the seeds like grow some extra and so, say uh, i'm gonna ferment them somebody growing outdoors at area forty twenty, they could actually do this for themselves they could Ferment their own from their own product and stay one hundred percent. I've done some to themselves. Little, yes, they could totally. I've actually done some little get-togethers at the trains for the for the people there, and um and kind of schooled them on making these things to to and the benefits of it and the fullness of like what it can be used for. Um, yeah, so I yeah. mentioned you to Patty. Patty's down there. She's using build a soil from Galactic Cultivation. She's a uh, really happy with the build of soil and uh here in a little bit i want you to run from beginning to end what you would recommend to somebody getting consulted i got somebody i'm consulting he wants to go 100 build a soil and he wants some of your extracts kind of what he needs to get into prep to to enhance it to the fullest for sure i uh, would i would say the build a soil you're right you want me to say it now uh yeah go ahead it's uh you told me to build a soil 3.0 I like the 3.0 I honestly think that if you're more on a budget and if you're especially if you if anyone's doing anything licensed um you might want to go with the light um it's a little bit different but it's just as good as the 3.0 you're just gonna get you're gonna have to reamend sooner but I went through one whole run with build a soil light and didn't add anything to the soil. I didn't top dress anything. I was just adding my ferments and KNF stuff. And um, I did add some some micro um, micronutrients. Like the build a soil equivalent would be the big six in bloom. But I got really good results on one run in build a soil light without any reamending. And then the second run, I started to see a pretty hard fade early in or mid early mid bloom. Plants did great, but they faded pretty hard, so I knew they were ready for like you're saying. You read the plants, you know. Mm-hmm. So I fed the plants some. Uh, I've top dressed with Craft Blend, which is a build a soil prep. Uh, it's a soil amendment mix, Craft Blend, and that did the trick. And they've been through two runs now. With the I think last run I put down. Oh, whoops. That the Craft Blend did the trick. And I put down some of that two runs ago, and now I've been through two more. And just this last one, I put down some 
biochar and mushroom, like this, myceliated mushroom blocks. But yeah, I would say to, to beginners getting started on build the soil, the light, root-wise, a, a fermented plant extract or two, if you only want, if you're on a budget and can only get one, like go for the comfrey perhaps, um, or the hemp, and then um, let the let the KNF stuff build, like in like start doing the KNF stuff, learning about it before you jump in and start buying it, maybe because it's it is an educational thing about like empowering people to do a lot of this themselves, and the the option to buy all this stuff is good to fill in the blanks of what you can't or won't do for yourself. So people should make IMO. I can sell IMO. I don't right now. It's not the, it's, I want people to make their own IMO. So what is the IMO? I know what it is, but can you explain it to some of the IMO is the biology. IMO is called indigenous microorganisms. Yeah, sorry, the, the acronyms are terrible, the abbreviations. Um, IMO is indigenous microorganisms. It's where you go out and collect wild microbes from your area using a substrate. It's a lot. If anybody grows mushrooms, they understand like cultivating the microbes or the mycelium in a substrate in your grain or in a compost or wood chips, whatever it is. So we go out in the woods or into a wild area and collect microbes in Korean natural farming. And you mentioned root-wise earlier. Root-wise is microbes, right? Root-wise is microbes. Okay, and those I are like... I sample those when I was telling you at the Kenicon, and I, I used them this round, and they're really strongly told me they're ag strength or something. Yes, the root-wise is an amazing product, and it's... There's a balance between what we can do ourselves and what we need to take advantage of what's available. And Rootwise is a well-sourced product. He's gone through a lot to like get that product to where it is and make sure that it is beneficial to our crop, cannabis. And, um, yeah, it's, it's great. And we know what's in it. And with the IMO, you make it, and the actual contents of it are unknown. It's kind of like compost. You make a compost pile, and you don't know what's in it. You know, but it's but it's, it's in your local area, so that helps with your plants because that's like your UVs, that's your temperature, that's yeah. your humidity level. Those microbes live and thrive at that range, so it's going to be good for you personally. And that's why it's better to get it local, right? Yeah. And the 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 IMO collection and and getting that local stuff is a complex process that basically is like making compost. It's just, it's a lot like making compost, except that it starts out by collecting something from nature, by collecting the microbes from nature in a specific way, and then bringing them into your compost pile in a specific way. Uh, I like the way this is going, but we're going to take another break, and then we're going to come back, and you're going to run through just one little prep up, if you don't mind. Sure. Awesome. We'll be right back. Would you like to grow your own cannabis at home? Are you able to now because it's legal in your state? Are you intimidated by the prices of seeds and worry if you can't even get the seeds to germinate? Are you worried it may be a waste of money and time to even try? This is how I felt when I first started growing for myself. Hundreds of dollars were spent and wasted because of my inexperience. Some of them got overwatered. 
some of them were burnt by hot soil. Some didn't have the right environment and conditions to survive. If this is the case and you are hesitating to purchase seeds, for a limited time, Little Farmer is offering 50 random seeds from his personal collection for only $50. That is 50 seeds for only $1 each. Normal prices for seeds start around $10, and some people charge even more than that. This is a great way to get a lot of seeds without having to spend a lot of money. This is a great chance for all those who are intimidated by the prices and don't have to worry about failing on their first attempt for germination. This is also a great opportunity to see what goes well in your environment. As we all know, some strains will grow better in different regions due to the climate, and you will be able to see what thrives in your area with the variety that you will receive. These packs are good for experienced growers as well as I have received nothing but great feedback thus far. Some strains included consist of Blue Dream, Gelato, Gelato Cake, Vanilla Haze, Head Smack, Green Crack, Purple Headband, Granddaddy Perps, Han Solo Burger, Tangy, GG4, Dynachem, Night Nurse, Golden Goat, Cookies, GMO, and many more. To get your hands on these packs, you will need to head over to Little Farmer website at www.littlefarmer.com. That is L-I-L-P-H-A-R-M-E-R.com and put in an order. While there, you can browse other items available, including the tree lock box, to carry around all your consumption needs around in one handy lockable box. Included in the box is a pipe, a grinder, a container for your herb, a lighter, and two handy tools to help you prepare your herbs and your hash. My favorite thing about the box is the tray that you can use to break up your herb while preparing it for consumption. It is hard to spill and easy to clean up. I don't travel anywhere without mine. Finally, if you need any consulting for your home growing needs, please contact Little Farmer from his website's contact us page by leaving a message. We can help you with your lighting, growing mediums, and other growing questions because I not only sell seeds, but I help you grow them too. Make sure to take advantage of these seed prices while they last because they won't last long. And now back to the show. Hi, welcome back everybody. I'm here with Miles Filippelli and we are going to talk about everybody experiment out there. What's the difference in some of these techniques? And I just learned what the JLF is and JMS. So he is going to explain what these two techniques are um, and what fermented extracts are because they're all a little bit different. They all kind of fall under the same category, but they're not. Uh, and everybody's out experimenting out there and doing their own little thing and starting to call it what they want. And it, it's kind of a mix of all these. So first, what is a JLF? JLF is a preparation that falls under JADAM. And it is water-based, so you start with water, and you add plant matter, um, ideally fresh. And in a lot of cases, it's your crop. What are you growing? You add that plant matter. So if you're growing strawberries, you put strawberries. And your strawberry plant waste, like when you cut down your plants, or the culls, or, you know, again, you don't want to use unhealthy plants. But plant matter, water, and some rich soil some compost, some leaf mold, whatever you have. So the leaf mold or the compost or the rich soil, that is acting as your inoculant. That's where your microbes are coming from. Those microbes are going to live, some of those microbes, not all of them, will live in the water 
and microbially digest the plant matter and create a solution, a slurry of that you feed to your plants. That's JLF. JMS is more about collecting microbes out of the air. You put a food source, which is often potatoes and some salt. I believe you cook the potatoes a little bit and then you add, and you add some salt and you kind of mash it up and you put it in a cloth sack and you suspend the sack in um, your water, in a water bath, like a 50-gallon drum. And then you, uh, you wait. And the microbes, it's kind of like an open open Petri dish. And the microbes out of the air come and like feed off of that. And you see like a, a bubbling on the surface that indicates the ripeness of the solution. And that's, that's a microbial collection of ubiquitous, which means they're everywhere. Just microbes that are everywhere. And they're native or they're uh, indigenous, as they're called in KNF. Indigenous microorganisms is a different preparation. But... I'll, I'll explain that next. But the JMS is a liquid collection of microorganisms that's broad and not specific. You're just getting everything. Um, IMO is similar to that, but you're collecting on a solid state. You're collecting on a grain, on rice traditionally. So you're getting a different batch of microbes. Like, the, not the ones that would necessarily live in a liquid solution, but the ones that would live in a porous, wet, grainy solution that's nitrogen and carbon rich. Maybe on the surface where your soil dries out a little bit more. It's more similar to, but then there's poor water microbes that will live in your water. So it's there's a balance there to, like, your solid state microorganisms and your liquid state microorganisms. Like, what will live in a liquid, what will live in a solid um and then there's lactic acid bacteria, which is a collection of microbes that are local in a liquid, but it's not a broad spectrum collection the way JMS is. JMS collects, Jadamit microbial solution, JMS collects all the microbes. Lactic acid bacteria starts in the same way. It collects all the microbes, and then we isolate and specify what microbes we want. And the way we do that is with food source and environment. So we add milk to our microbial solution that we've collected, um, which is very similar to JMS. It's usually rice, like you just wash uh, a grain or you, wa- you get a, car- a carbohydrate source in a liquid solution and put it out. Microbes will be attracted to it and you'll see a change in the solution and smell that it's become populated with microbes. And then you, uh, there's a separation where you take out the middle part, but um, but then you add milk. And most microbes won't live in milk. They only wanna live in um, like water or soil or on grains. Most microbes won't live in milk. So a lot of them die, a lot of the microbes die. And the ones that will live in milk, the ones that we have collected that are in the air, um, they consume the milk proteins and the all the good stuff in the milk and like love it they're, they they thrive in that solution because that's what they're made for um, and there's a huge 
diverse population of what those microbes could be. And lactic acid bacteria, what you create when you, when you add this milk in there, is it's a strong set of bacteria. They have a lot of really good properties for people, for animals, and for soil. Um, so when you, when you add that milk, there's a separation, like curds and whey. Because what's happening is the microbes are creating an acidic environment where they, um, they like create their own environment. They like to live in lactic acids. They like make more and more of it. That acidifies the milk solution. And, you know, some cooks or bakers will know when you get milk acidic, it separates into curds and whey. So you separate off the curds. <coughs> when you separate off the curds, um, the whey solution on the bottom is your lactic acid bacteria solution. And that's a whole other preparation in KNF. But it's another, like, it's these are all microbial sources. The IMO, the JMS, and the labs, lactic acid bacteria serum, is they're all microbial collections that people can do um, anywhere. And the collection you do uh, on your farm or in your place of residence or in your like wherever you collect, wherever you choose to do these collections, wherever you choose to place your barrel with your food source in it that collects all the microbes, or your, uh, in for labs you just do a little cup, and for KNF we use a, a box of hard cooked rice. So, it's different food sources for different microbes in different settings. You're going to get different microbes, different families of microbes, different balances of of microbial populations. And, um, and whatever you culture in that specific location is important to like note and say what you got, where you got it, what time of year even. And that gives you more data about what you're doing. Yeah, so springtime, uh, more nitrogen possibly. In the fall, more potassium. Possibly, if in, especially for, they say, the first growth of spring crops are a lot of times the, like... <clears throat> green grassy crops and um, not necessarily fruit even your grass you just cut your grass save your clippings and do it with that i've heard a grass jlf is huge like people underestimate a grass jlf it's huge i've made a grass fermented plant extract before so basically everybody out there mowing their grass they can save it and they can make their own fertilizer instead of having to go to the store and buy fertilizer (laughs) as long as you're not using gnarly stuff like roundup or something in your yard to kill the that's the one thing about these preps is you got to worry about sourcing like your plant matter if it came from a responsible source that's not contaminated um and that's this is this is what we'll talk about about my stuff because as i grow i have a farm and i grow the plants that i ferment and make into the products so i have full control over a lot of this sourcing i don't grow the peaches always and I don't grow all the um, pumpkins but um, this year I got the pumpkins from build the soil so I know who grew them and how they were grown and that's the point is to balance your sourcing and know where it's from not getting it from all over the world ideally getting it from locally um, because the microbes that are present like if you take a pumpkin out of your garden there's it's covered in microbes already and so if you put that pumpkin into your ferment, you're, all those microbes that are in your, on the pumpkin from your garden are in your ferment now, 
are like you're culturing them to put back into your garden. And it's like that's where they started. And it'll give but, you your plants <laughs> natural defense to the insects that are in your area, from what I understand. All that's of it. The, insects. That's I why mean, these microorganisms are the very, very important because of that factor. Well, all of the... And you cut down on the herbicides and pesticides, and if you keep up the cycle, there will be no longer a need for herbicides and pesticides. On a large scale, on the ag, it could be huge. I mean, the, the, the pesticide reduction, the chemical fertilizer reduction... The ability to empower farmers to do um, things that they've previously paid other people to think about and do for them, um, the changes are going to be massive in this. With, with the, I hope, I hope to see, I hope to live to see the changes that that these techniques are going to bring at scale to mass ag. But they're very old techniques. Some of them, they might be, they, they're were mimicked. <clears throat> they're mimicked worldwide. But and lost. Yes. And, I mean, there's farmers in Chiapas, like, making similar preps. There's traditional farmers all over the world that have traditional preps that are either, that mimic this, that aren't KNF and aren't Jadam. Um, but they, they have application and they're, they're similar and related. And that's, that's kind of where the fermented plant extracts come in, is that they... Fermented plant extracts I learned about through um, a, a guy in Indonesia or the Philippines. I can't remember. Gil Cardigang, the unconventional farmer, was his website. And it had all these recipes on it. And he didn't call them Korean natural farming. He didn't call them Jadam. But it had a lot of these recipes on the, on his website. And I made them all. I did them all. And I, I loved them. And I, um, I, this one I clung to the the fermented plant extract, and I made a bunch of it, and I, um, I ran with it, and I loved it, and it, and ultimately it never fell into what's technically KNF or what's technically Jadam, because people will love to tell you when you start experimenting and doing different things, that's not KNF, and um, we you know we joke about, it, but it's the the fermented plant extracts truly are not KNF or Jadam because of their, just the, the nature of these recipes being specific. You have to know what's in these things to do them. So fermented plant extracts are lactic acid bacteria, water, plant matter, and sugars. And that's what, that's the, that recipe doesn't exist in KNF or Jadam. That's really cool. I don't know why. <laughs> so what got me interested in the whole thing was the lactic acid bacteria, the probiotics, the probiotic for the roots, and I have stomach issues, and the probiotics for the stomach help your body immensely. It just your stomach's good, your brain's better, your body's better. You know, if your stomach's bad, if your roots are bad in your plant, it's the same thing. Their heads, their tops aren't aren't good, you know? Yes. So I've been feeding myself probiotics, but then there's prebiotics, and that's where the fungal comes in, because fungal... Uh, mushroom, like uh, lion's mane, reishi, I've been taking capsules of that. Those are prebiotics for the probiotics, which help feed the probiotics in your gut, which makes them flourish, and they overtake the bad microbes or the bad bacterias. So the whole idea is the same as feeding the plant. The probiotics, the prebiotics, and mixing the two to make the root zones as strong as possible there will be bad bacteria, but the good microbes overpower them yes yes and lactobacillus it, lactic acid bacteria is this is good 
the, the lactic acid bacteria is a master at outcompeting pathogens. It's known as, um, like, lactic acid bacteria is a huge family, but it's considered generally antipathogenic. So that means they fight off the bad guys. They don't harm living things. They break down dead and decaying things. They're saprophytes. Um, so they're antipathogenic and saprophytic, meaning they break down things and don't attack living things. They're microaerophilic. Lactic acid bacteria lives in less than, they like to live in that watery solution more. And, um, and yeah, they, they, same as in our stomachs, exactly like you're saying, they, they're really good in our stomachs because they're in our stomachs helping our stomach break down organic matter that we've eaten. And, um, and our stomach isn't aerob- an aerobic environment. It's a liquid environment. Same within our soil. Our soil isn't liquid, but it's got less air than atmospheric. So it could really help if you're like over water and you have like lots of water in there. Those microbes live and love that. It could help keep from root rot. Uh, that's just my mind thinking real quick. You're 100% right because you're a grower, man. You know what's up. Like the if you have an overwatering event, like say outdoor and it rains a lot and you can't keep the rain off the plants or a grower helper messes up or you just overwater one time over expecting their uptake. And, um, or just your room, your conditions change so you don't have the same evaporation. Overwatering happens on all kinds of conditions when you don't have total control over the environment. Um, which, let's admit, admit it, most people don't. Most growers don't have total control over our environment. So, so you can't control nature. That's just, you just got to roll with it whenever something pops up. Right. Be flexible. I can't go over, overboard on it. it Things are going to happen every grow. Something happens. Exactly. So lactobacillus, not just even in your root zone, even on the leaf surface as a foliar, because it's found on the leaf surfaces. It's found on the surface of fruit and plants. It's found in dew and clouds and rain and mist and fog, and it's out there. So they are generally beneficial. And they're, if to have them in the soil, you get that overwatering, the pathogens could try to move in, but there's already these antipathogenic things that are flourishing and taking over and, and expanding their population down there because the right conditions exist, the wet conditions. Um, wet and high oxygen and uh, high organic matter, lots of food for them to eat. Um, the pathogens don't have a chance. They move out. They don't have, there's no room for them. So I, I started going to foliars. Uh, it's really easy to screw up if you ever do it. I've burned some leaves. Uh, not on your product uh it was on some other product i just over i i misread it uh overdid it it wasn't anything against their product i always always people spray a little bit and see what happens to your plant before you spray the whole thing i didn't heed that advice and uh I sprayed the whole thing, came back the next day they were all curled up and brown and oh man i thought i wonder what i thought it that. was gonna it was this herb we're smoking right now actually I mean, it's it survived. I, I I cut it down, brought it back to health and life. It was, my buddy gave it to me. Wanted to see what it would what it would do indoors because he could only grow it outdoors, and uh, it came out really good, didn't it? It's nice. Yes, proper. Um, yeah, I wonder what did in that. Um, my product, I've tested it pretty hard. I wouldn't suggest overusing it because just for the sake of um, efficiency. But I've tested it and not had terrible results i've never like curled a leaf or heard a plant like that from using it at higher dilutions but um but yeah foliar spraying is great with the fermented plant extracts 
or with lactic acid bacteria solutions, which I urge you with your stomach to like make some for yourself and just you make it in like food grade conditions and consider it like making food for yourself and then separate it when you make it some for the plants some for me exactly yeah and the stuff for you you can add sugar to and like because sugar stabilizes it and heck it's gonna make it sweet that's the plan once i'll be able to get my own garden grow my own stuff again yeah just don't have the space here you see this or up in alma it's a uh it's winter all but july and uh but you got the space to make your preps right now so you can do like you can be making like your labs in here and collecting it and you know, still doing that. And I told, getting ready. I got for a the, bunch of uh, the time. after the grow after the uh, living soil class. I went out and grabbed some topsoil, top what three inches with the pine cones and the needles and everything, and topped it off after putting a bunch of fungal blocks down. And uh, I could tell it really did bring some life back. Uh, I think I got some little fungal eating mites in there. Um, I think they actually help keep the fungus gnats down because they don't have a food source to eat which helped out i don't know if i brought anything else in or not that was a great class like you know like i i was super busy so thank you for reminding me that was a super busy week and that was and that was kind of crammed in there like one day yeah we didn't even get a chance to say hello because it was so busy it was such a good class we were engulfed in in it the whole time and and we went over time and everybody dispersed but uh yeah it was a really informative class uh kind of hit on some of these here too i'm glad i could go further into it with you it was uh something i learned better speaking to somebody uh reading in a book maybe watching a video is better reading in a book doesn't stick very well because i can see what the person's highlighting i can see it in the expression in their face like yeah this is important uh this is the best part of it you know reading i can't get that feeling or description no there was a good personal atmosphere to um i can't remember queen of the sun that's her name she queen of the sun grown she has a really good vibe with and like way of explaining things jordan was there supporting and he had a he has a really good way of relating what she's talking about to what specifically what we and his following who was who was us you know, growcasters out there. Um, he, we were all there to learn about this in a specific way, and he had a good way of kind of translating that and explaining it into our world and, and asking the right questions to, to her that, that anticipated what a lot of us were thinking at that moment. So that was a great class, man. I really experienced and Yeah, again, thank you for reminding me of that because I did that and then, like, a trade show and some... And then we did the, our class with Touched by Cannabis and in oklahoma we did our knf class like right after that you've been all over the place it was a busy week it was two weeks on the road for me that like that was crammed in (laughs) but i had such a good time that day i was just like like you said taking notes taking notes but you've been so busy i'm glad you could take the time to come and and speak to me me and hang out and smoke some herb with me and get to know each other and you said you were going to run through one quick makeup of your product how would you prep up a fermented extract well I'll tell how you or, could, because I've done it a million. I, I don't want to tell how I do it, but I'll tell you how you should do it. So get your five-gallon bucket. That's Everybody's got it, every grower, farmer, whatever. Whether you're in a tent or anything, you should have a five-gallon bucket or two extra. Temperature matter, because I know you know where I live. It is cold all the time. So yeah, let's, the temperature will slow it down, right? Yeah, you can't be freezing. Slow, like Can't be under like 35 degrees, 40 degrees minimum, like... 
So we'll, I'll get into okay. all that because temperature definitely depends. But a bucket, plant matter, whatever you got. Like even if it's just a pile of leaves, as long as they're not sprayed with chemicals or nothing, whatever you got, sticks, stones, <laughs> not maybe not stones, fungal life, whatever, or like a crop, fruit, peach pits. I don't care what you got. Like something non-toxic. I, the best stuff is non-toxic, fast-growing, vigorous, fast-growing, healthy, and local. So vines, grass. If you don't spray grass, vines, whatever you got. We got Virginia creeper all over the house. I'm pulling off vines all the time. We whatever you got. Put it's it into a mix. Stuff in the five-gallon bucket. Whatever you got. Um, doesn't have to be full as long as you're just filling the bottom of the bucket. So if you had like a couple extra peaches, a couple extra pears, throw them in there. Maybe they start going bad a little bit. You'd pick them and didn't eat them. You know, but best is like fresh conventional or non-conventional like so you don't you don't want like if you're going store-bought isn't ideal or if you are going to store-bought get organic and don't get like get food for you and then if it goes bad i don't suggest people go to the store just to buy stuff for fermenting but there are specific applications where you need something you want to go and go get it we live in this land of abundance go get something fermented have fun you know and there's specific recipes you want to make something real specific. We teach that in, the, in our KNF world. But basically, if you if you got a crop, you want to pick it first thing in the morning. If, you, if it's your crop, you have total control over it. It's something locally. Go out and pick it first thing in the morning. Throw it in your bucket. Um, then you get the local microbes in there. That's great. You fill the bucket full of water once you got your plant matter in there. Then you add some sugar, like maybe half a cup of sugar, and then add some labs, lactic acid bacteria. Or you can add some of my product, because that has labs in it. Um, but then you're getting my labs from my farm, my local stuff. If you collect your labs from your area, the way I was just saying with the milk, that's totally different. That's totally better. Best you to know? go to your local farmer and get some unpasteurized milk directly from a cow, maybe? Honestly... That'd be great, but any milk will do. Like, I've used powdered milk to do this before, where it's just like we live in this land of abundance. Like, get what you got, get what you get, use what you can use, you know? Like, don't let not knowing a f- farmer and not knowing how to get unpasteurized milk stop you. But yeah, if you can get the local stuff, great. I like, I like my goat milk or my 2A milk. Yeah, whatever you like to use, whatever you got, use it. Um, but but it has to have lactose in it, huh? You got it. Well, I don't even know. What's the lactose for you? I d- I've never tried that. It might work. It might not. But ideally, you want the lactose. The lactose basilic and the lactose is it probably same family? is it the same thing or is it? I mean, yes. If, if I don't know, I don't know. Because I just because I drink the A two milk because it has no lactose. It is a milk that's naturally lactose free. Give it a try. All it has to do is separate a little bit. Some milks will separate and you'll have all curds in a little bit of whey. Some milks will separate and you have a little bit of curds in a lot of whey. So it's like you want more whey for what we're doing. You want more whey. Okay. Um, but basically, the, the ferments is just plant matter, water, a little bit of sugars, a little bit of um, labs. And you're basically just giving a food, you're giving an environment, which is the water, 
and inoculant, which is all the living stuff, and food sources. Sugar, really good, fast-acting food source, mm -hmm. but not the best food. Sugar, you know, kind of junk food. So then you give them a high-nutrient-dense plant matter, and that's, like, a better food source. That's that's their, like, good food. And that's that's how you get the solution that we're getting, the, lack, the fermented plant extract. So while I asked about the temperature earlier, I used to yes. teach chemistry, and chemistry, heat is always the catalyst in all of these chemical reactions or the speed up processes so i know cold uh inhibits this process what is an ideal and is there a max temperature do you want to let it sit out in 110 degrees in oklahoma or do you want to have it in the shade there and then in another place where it's 70 have it in the sun <clears throat> what's ideal or is there not it just depends so it gets it gets tricky here because um if you have one, for example, the example you used, if you have one sitting out in the sun, um, you, you're going to tailor your microbial solution to your environment, which the environment is the tank of water that you're fermenting in the jug, whatever. So if you're out in the sun, you're getting um, favorable conditions for photosynthetic forms of these microbes or light-tolerant forms um, I've heard them referred to originally as highlight versions. Um, and these may be better used as foliar sprays than as root feeds. Um, a lot of, in KNF, when we make IMO, we don't want it in direct sunlight because the UV in the sunlight is going to kill off certain microbial populations that we may want to still culture. Um, <clears throat> like, you know more uv sensitive things in there that that might not love the light because they're used or to living deeper under, root system yeah or even just they're used to living just under a mulch layer and they just don't want direct sun hitting them because they're not they're so they're not uv tolerant so we might want to protect our microbes from that so um so same goes in in these fermented plant extracts that if you have ones in the light they they're going to act a certain way you know um and that's with open top right in your garden but <clears throat> or covered up in okay. the garden so to make mine to, to uh, mine i shouldn't say that but to make the fermented plant extracts um you seal it i didn't say that you have to seal the top and give it an airlock like you don't want it open air to make the fermented so plant extracts it's lacking oxygen yes so you're sealing it um at the top, but that, that will like build up pressure. So you need like a little airlock or you just need to burp it every now and then. Um, so a little airlock is key. Um, like a brewer's airlock, you know? And, um, yeah. So if you're brewing them out in the sun, if you brew them in the shade, wherever, it's kind of like, again, your, your, every brew is a collection of microbes in your area. In addition to like, cause you're, it's environment and food source. So what you're fermenting, and then like where and how you're fermenting it. So if you're fermenting it in a colder environment, you might be tailoring the microbial solution to cooler temperatures, and it's gonna go slower in colder temperatures. In the hot sun, like your ferment will be done and ready to use quickly. <laughs> like yeah, like compost, it's the same. If you're in a warmer place, it's gonna heat up faster. You're in a colder place, it's gonna take, take, take longer time to heat up, no yes, matter what. Exactly, yeah. And, um, that's that's true with all kinds of fermentation, like you were saying, kimchi, like a lot of this stuff with 
happen slower and cooler. You want to slow down the microbial action of something, you cool it down. You want to speed it up. You want a lot of this is cheese too, right? So you were saying earlier, it goes into the culinary mixed with the agriculture. KNF specifically is a connection, a magical connection between culinary and agriculture. And you can make some delicious things with KNF, like really delicious things um, that are like almost like medicine for your stomach and medicine for your plants and food for your microbes all kind of in one. It's a really, the, the potential of KNF is, like I said, I want to be able to live to see the, these things actuated in humanity at scale when... I mean, I realize it will be some of this may become like Disneyified, you know what I'm saying? And like, like watered down or, or misinterpreted in one way or another. But the fullness of this available to humanity is massive. And when we start to realize that as a whole, as a species in different countries and different cultures and different people's ideas and ways of expressing it, it's going to be crazy. And I hope to see some of that because. Yeah, no, I want to do a, maybe we'll do it. I want to do a KNF food, like dinner type of vibes where we like serve a dinner with, that's made with each dish has a KNF prep in it. And there's like a little talk about each prep. I know, know a chef. Yeah, I'll bro. see if I can talk him into yeah. to doing some, he's always about <clears throat> uh, trying something new. He's always tired of doing the same stuff. So I got a bunch of recipes I've made up for it. So we uh, just need like a space and yeah, I it's, gotta, it would be fun. Uh, if you got a farm, I have tons of seeds for you to, uh, I guess give you so two. Much, got some sunflower and some bean seeds I and a couple it. other. I can't. I won't have anything to do with them ever. Cool. Just don't have any place to put them now. And don't want them to get too old. But sunflower, it. I was thinking, would be a good strong one with a sprout. Yeah, if you're ever west of um, of Area Four Twenty, hit me up and come see the farm. It would be dope. I'll definitely want to come down and check that out. And uh, I highly appreciate it coming by speaking to me about all this stuff uh i know it's your mission to get this out there uh i love your passion for it you show me the same passion that i got from queen of the sun grown and what you got from her i get that from you on your mission my mission is pretty much to help people like yourself spread it to other people who are still afraid to talk about it or even ask questions about it uh those ones that are afraid to comment on our facebook pages and uh, like and share them because they're still in fear of the reefer uh, we reefer the reefer here and uh reference it and it's good usages it's helped me in my life and i know it's helped you in your life um highly appreciate it and yeah, man, thank you can't wait to come down the farm and check you out and thanks everybody for tuning in we're going to tune out here, and I will be back next week with a new episode of Refer the Reefer, and talk to you soon. Call him Dr. Earth for the healing meditation and good vibration. For food, fuel, fiber, and a little bit of fun. See, the joint ain't necessarily the point, but I want one.